0: Hello and welcome to the Good Friends of Jackson Elias. What you're about to hear is a special bonus episode recorded live in front of an audience at the Dragon Meat Gaming Convention in London, which occurs every December. For this seminar, the Good Friends have teamed up with the What Would the Smart Party Do podcast, To discuss the topic of, are all role-playing games just customised versions of Dungeons & Dragons? Gaz and Baz of the smart party spoke for the motion, whilst Matt and myself spoke against it. Now sadly, Scott couldn't make it for this one, but we're joined by special guest Mike Mason of Chaosium as chair. As mentioned, this was recorded live, and the audio may be a little patchy in places, but we've done our best to clean it up, and I hope you enjoy. If you want to find out more about either podcast, you can go to smartparty.wordpress.com and blasphemoustomes.com. And without further delay, here's the show.
1: I think, I think we're nearly there. Um, I'll, I'll just preface things before we get going with uh, the fact that I am uh, not Scott Dawood. Uh, Scott Dawood unfortunately can't be with us today. And uh, so I've been asked to step in, and uh, hello, I'm Mike Mason uh, from Curzium, and I'll be moderating this panel in a, in a fashion. And uh, the panel today you've come to uh, enjoy, because that is the word, enjoy, all other RPGs are just customised versions of Dungeons & Dragons, is a debate. Now, I think, I have no prior knowledge of this, that the two sides to me uh, are opposing views. I'm unsure what those views are, but I'm going to pass the microphone down, starting with uh, my good friend uh, Baz, who's going to introduce himself and uh, give a one-line starting opinion, and then we'll move down.
2: Okay. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Baz, co-host of What Would The Smart Party Do? with my co-host, Gaz, who you'll hear from in a minute. He's the northern one. I'm the southern one. So I burgled places, and he's got no money. Um, our side, I think, for this debate is that we, I think, agree that all role-playing games are essentially descendants of D&D and have their DNA running through them in one way or another, to which the entirety of my argument is hit points.
3: Your witness. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Gaz. If you don't know me, I'm the other half of him. i have got to use the directional microphone. Is that what you're telling me? I think you just wanted to touch my hand, didn't and... you? Yeah, that's all right. Yes, I agree with Baz on many things, and disagree on many things as well. Some people think we will sleep together like Bert and Ernie in a bed, but actually we do have disagreements. But on this, we are one well mind. And in fact, if it wasn't for D&D, there wouldn't be any role-playing. So case closed, runner.
1: Thanks very much.
4: OK, uh,
3: Matt. Oh.
4: Apologise in advance of my voice. <laughs> um, hello, I'm Matt Sanderson. Um, representing the no part of this debate, my immediate counter to hit points would be plot immunity. So there are games that do not use hit points.
0: Hello, I'm Paul Frecker. I'm also with the good friends of Jackson Elias. We're not called the No Party, Matt. <laughs> 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 uh, yes, as uh, as Mike says, apologies that Scott isn't here. Um, he uh, apparently he has chills. They're multiplying, and he's <laughs> losing control. More on that story later. Um, we are of the mind that. Yeah, there are many role playing games out there, and there are a great diversity of them, and not all of them are like Dungeons and Dragons. And there
1: you have it. So now we can talk about the new cthulhu releases. <laughs>
5: <laughs> okay. I knew there'd be a price for this. This is the price we pay. <laughs> right. Okay. So
1: it's a pretty bold statement, uh, you pair on the uh, smart party. Um, so. You mentioned hit points, you know, but, you know, we're all just gonna say no. Um, so give me some actual valid reason, you know, I mean, okay, D&D started things off, but I mean, the hobby's grown, you know, the whole indie revolution went in a, took things in a whole different direction, things have moved on, you know, it's not, you know, the DNA of, DNA, of D&D, you know, is very weak these days in most games, so come on, give me a better argument than the dice and hit points
2: yeah i suppose the dna of dnd has had what 40 odd years now to be diluted to an extent but it's definitely still there um i mean i'll give you a couple of examples i suppose i think there's probably a fair point to be made and i'm sure my erstwhile colleagues at the end there will make this point that story games are a thing i kind of get that but i'm here to talk about role-playing games so that will be different Uh
5: um,
2: <laughs> I think I'm in safe hands here. Uh, I, would, I would just, uh, there was an example the other day of a game I was listening to, an actual play podcast, and um, the game wasn't d but I'll sum up the events of the story that I heard. It was a really good podcast, actually. So what happened was there was a team of characters who were off on a mission, and each of the characters had their specialisms, so one of them was like really good at close fighting and one of them could do stuff at range and one was quite talky and they encountered an ambush and the combat ensued and and everyone got quite excited with some of the dice rolls there were critical hits and and fumbles and stuff like that and there was rolls to hit and there was rolls to damage and at the end of it when all the baddies were defeated there was like an arcane item that had magical powers that the players picked up and were really excited about and it was a really good actual play of um Paul Cthulhu, I think it's called. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Scott was running it, and that might be why he's not here now to defend himself. Yeah. running DD, but not calling it
3: that. <laughs> yeah, and I think if we look at Cthulhu, which is something close to your heart, mate. When we decide how how can we model this, Sandy Piece of Thought, how can I model the descent into madness? I know I've got hit points, so I'll just use sanity points. And I want to cast spells, so I'll use magic points. So even in the most current edition of Cthulhu, which Paul's handcrafted with others as well, uh, you still use these points for stuff. And all that is, um, I mentioned plotting, but really that's just a pacing mechanic. So even in more indie games, like something like Dead of Night, for example, you have survival points, it's still there in the DNA, and that's just used as a way of pacing the game across, till eventually you run out of survival points, and then the game comes to some sort of conclusion. So these kind of uh, amalgam of story and using some sort of rules to kind of guide things along and then get to a point after some pacing that you get to a conclusion is still there, I think, in most games.
1: Oh, statements made by the smart party. Okay, good friends.
4: Well, there's an interesting term you used there, um, critical hits. You know that was introduced in Empire of the Petal Throne rather than D&D, yeah? Mm-hmm. yeah?
2: Oh, of course I knew. I was just checking that you knew. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're all right. There <laughs> When
4: looking at games that evolved about the same time as D&D, I mean, D&D, you could even argue that it's actually a customised version of Chainmail, so that it is a game that has evolved <laughs> from a pre-existing game. Um, there were games that were inspired by D&D, yep, yeah, that, that goes without saying. Um, going back to 1975, so a year before, about well, a year after, rather, the first release of D&D, you have, as I mentioned, the Empire of the Petal throw There are lots of different sources that Gax and Co. mentioned were inspirational to the creation of D&D. Uh, classical mythology, uh, contemporary fiction of the 60s and 70s, particularly fantasy, obviously played, uh, played a large part in that. But Empire of the Petal Throne is an example of a game that derived from a completely different set of influences. Um, particularly, M.A.R. Baker had been developing the Tecumel setting as a fictional setting for some decades prior to that. So almost case in point, the fact that he introduced a set, uh, an idea in its mechanics but while inspired by DD, became something else entirely, and then DD went, Yeah, we'll eat that, we'll have that. So, it's as much as other games are customizations of it, it certainly has its own bit like the English language, it steals from everything it can.
0: So, if you think about DD as beer, right? There's <laughs> a few beers in here right now, but there's a wide variety of beer, you're not all drinking the same beer, but myself. I'm not applying for a job on the US Supreme Court. So I can say I'm not a fan of beer, but I make my own cider. What do I make cider from? I make it from apples. There is no constituent part of cider that goes into beer. My point is that there are role-playing games like D&D, and I would agree that there are a lot of games like D&D that have you know, used a similar setting and different rules, or similar rules and different setting, and so on. But there are also games that are of a totally different uh, brew, if you like. So if you take a game like Dogs in the Vineyard, I think there are no hit points. Uh, it doesn't use... The, the rules have very... it uses dice. That's about the only parallel you can make, perhaps. Uh, there are other games, such as uh, Witch. Uh, I think it's called The Road to Lindus Farm, which is no dice, no mechanics. It's just freeform storytelling. But there is role-playing within it. It's definitely a role-playing game. It's a very different animal to Dungeons and Dragons. It's hard to see that one came from the other. I would argue.
1: Ringquest is quite different to D&D. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you say D&D is the, you know, the forerunner and the the, the blood through all role-playing games um aren't we actually saying the bits you know taking the hit points aside and we're talking about narrative plots and an adventure to a quest or a goal um aren't we talking that dnd stole that from books and novels and storytelling and that if you say in another game it's not to do with dnd it's actually the uh you know long tradition of storytelling that's actually informing role-playing games i put to you baz
3: <laughs> I love
2: it when you put things to me <laughs> Not in you Not in me,
3: just to me or near me That's fine as well um,
2: I don't disagree, I don't disagree at all but uh, what I love about D&D is that um, it really got things started and it, and it made a game out of storytelling as opposed to just a pastime or something that you might do around a campfire and it put that structure into it and, and genuinely if it wasn't for Guy Gags and Armisen and others M.A.R. Barker, putting those kind of constituents together to make that magic brew or cider, none of us would be in this room. So for me, I think it's it's just beyond debate that DD runs through role-playing games. I think the really important question is why is that a problem for some people? Why deny that? Why feel that DD is sullying your modern game or your game of choice that you want to play? The fact of the matter is it's your grandfather and you can't choose your relatives. So you might as well get down with the fact that your game doesn't have to be like D&D, but if it weren't for D&D, it would not exist.
3: I thought you were going to drop the mic, then. <laughs> <laughs> that's scheduled for 52 minutes now. <laughs> you? uh, So you've mentioned which the Road to Lindisfar and other things, and you've mentioned storytelling, and I think that's it's risking opening up the rift of trad versus indie, which we'll try and steer away from because it's a fallacious a argument anyway, but there is that kind of point to our argument I think that we're talking about role-playing games as Baz mentioned earlier and if you get something as far to the indie as which that is just purely a freeform storytelling game as you described it yourself it's not really if you said I'm playing a role-playing game that wouldn't be the first thing people thought of you know jumped to their mind that sort of thing and if you're going that far you might as well call uh, freeforms role-playing games you might as well call large role-playing games or improv theatre so when we say D&Ds you know, basically the, the, the dinning out of the we We're not really talking about theatre or street art or, or modern dance, because that's, that's kind of the end of the scale you're going to. So I think really by role-playing games, we're talking trad-ish. I don't want to draw a, a big line and say there's trad and indie, but games that have some sort of system, as soon as you bring things into it that don't have a system that involves mechanics, then you're really not talking about the same sort of thing. And So I think that argument's probably a little bit weak. You're weak, Paul. What would you say about that?
0: <laughs> I'd like to know what Gaz has to say about Hot War. I know he's a fan of Hot War. How does Hot War relate to d
3: I'm liking the microphone, Patrick. <laughs> I like. I like to feel <laughs> useful. <speeded> <laughs> high, high, use of your time. Yeah. Uh, so Hot War's got um, is more towards the story side of things than the, the mechanics are designed to build. Role-playing game, though, story. right? Story. Yeah, I think so. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> still yet to decide. I think, I think it is. the word is yes. <laughs> you looking for? Yeah, on reflection. Yeah, <laughs> is where was, that's what I meant by I think so. Yeah, I'm Mike, thinking about Mike, it.
0: Mike, record us a point to us.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's, it still comes down to he wants to drive conflicts, and that's what part of D and D was from the start: is you go into a dungeon or whatever, you go exploring. And it's how the U versus is nature to get somewhere where you're going, or if you're in a dungeon, you're fighting monsters to get to the end. And all Hot War did, well, not all it did, it did quite a lot of things, but one of the main things it did was reduce down things from task-based systems, in DD, you try and break your door down or whatever, to the conflict. So instead of say, making lots of rolls, it said, I don't want to do focus on that as much. I'd rather focus on storytelling and the, the chatting that we're having around the table, and then we'll just have one big fight and roll one set of dice for it. So the DNA of uh, having conflicts, rolling dice to resolve them, moving the story forward, that's all still there, even in a fairly unrecognisable format from traditional D&D. Uh, but it's still got the story, exploration, the pacing mechanic in terms of your factional agenda or your personal agenda, and you ultimately come to a resolution having rolled some dice for, to make decisions for you.
1: So, just touching on about what Baz said a minute or two ago, is it, I mean, do you have a problem with the fact that, you know, there is a, uh, a trace of D&D in what most would consider, you know, tabletop role-playing games. Uh, do you, is that a problem for you or do you, you know, fundamentally, you know, think actually things have moved on and, and that actually, you know, yeah, the, you know yeah, yeah, of course, there's a slight trace because it's a role-playing game and if we didn't have D&D, there wouldn't be role-playing games perhaps. Yes, you know, we all kind of can give a nod to that, but do you feel things have actually genuinely moved forward, and actually, you know, they have now left D&D behind in that sense, and you know, they are forging their own paths, you know, across the board?
2: Yeah,
4: I'd say that D&D does a particular thing very well, it tells a particular story very well, but it's not the particular type of story that I want to tell. Um, Particularly, some games that almost um, subvert some of the D&D tropes. Um, one of the big ones there is monsters. There are two instances I can think of in particular, where rather than just, I'm gonna go into a room, whip out my sword and smack it around a bit, and it's not a game of Alpha Blue, but it could be a game where, uh, for instance, the guy might look particularly normal, you end up killing him, only to find his avatar in the Arthur and then you've got a whole load of sand loss, that's a monster you didn't want to kill. Or if it's Cthulhu Dark, you pick up your sword, you're instantly dead, even better. It's subverting those tropes of going specifically on a combat bash, I mean, I, I like a nice bit of subversion and destroy rules every so often.
0: Well, I've also had a, a, a missive from Dirk the Dice, who can't be here today, but produces the Grognard Files podcast, uh, and uh, he sent me this message to say that Mark Miller, the creator of Traveller, uh, with Games Designer Workshop, back in 1968, before d d uh, was, working in a, <laughs> yeah, was working in a political science classroom working on role-playing games where students uh, took the roles of candidates and political aides it sounds like kind of West Wing role-playing game uh, and so he was doing this before Guy Gax and Arneson bought out uh, d d in 74 and also if, uh, if my good friend Scott Dorwood were here not only would he be stroking his long grey beard like Gandalf He would be talking, ad infinitum, about Dallas the RPG. (laughs) Now, Scott had the pleasure of playing Dallas online with some friends recently. And he attests to the fact that it is nothing like your traditional role-playing game. There are no combat mechanics. There are no um, hit points or any of that malarkey. But it does need ten players. Otherwise, you can't play it. And... Well, I might be breaking the deal a bit here, but apparently he did, drop up. Uh, he did drop out of the game after about two hours, I think. I don't know what was going on there. So. <laughs> but if Scott were here, he'd want me to mention it. Did yes, sir. Shot? Huh? get shot? I can't say who shot him, though. No, <laughs> so the point is, there were things, role-playing games, perhaps, before D&D.
1: Dallas yeah word dallas so there you have an example of something you know that exists that really doesn't bear a lot of relation to dungeons and dragons um is, so
0: google in it now
1: sorry <laughs> the, the, he's getting getting the next answer from the computer fact probably.
2: checking <laughs> <laughs> Baz. we'll have none of that um dallas the role playing game. played it owned it um and I think, I think
5: if you're relying on dallas the rpg to prove that there's no dnd in every role playing
2: game then i concede the argument right away <laughs> absolutely do you know um, no fine fair play it doesn't exist but i think even that game still has a game master i think it still has players i think there is still a story to tell with a beginning a middle and an end I think there is still the idea of campaign play and coming back week after week to see what happens next. I think from memory there may even be advancement within it. So it still maintains some of those elements of it. You use the analogy of a beer, maybe I can use one of a car. A Mini still has an engine and four wheels and a windscreen. So does a Porsche. They still get you from A to B. They're both cars, but of course you're not going to see many Minis winning the Indianapolis 500. It's there. Even in Dallas, and certainly in Traveller, there may well have been that bit where you've got parallel development happening at the same time. But, you know, we can't go back to the myths of history to say who thought of it first. The fact of the matter is that the victor of the spoilers, and the victor was D&D in the 70s. It's still the victor now. Whether we play it or we don't play it, that's what's happening three rooms away. They call it Pathfinder, but that's what's happening, and that's got all the people playing it. Popular doesn't mean good. Good doesn't mean best. But it's undeniable that there's D&D in your game. It's floating around in the soup that you love to play. And why not just embrace that? I'm not saying you have to go and play D&D. Of course I'm not at all. I really play it myself. Um, I prefer other games. I prefer other ways of delivering my fun. But to say that it hasn't got D&D in it would be like driving my car and telling myself I'm on a monocycle. I'm really not, am I? <laughs>
1: So, do you, I mean, are, are you still arguing your point, you two, or not? I've got it. Oh, you want to come back? All right, here you go.
2: You've had to bring in Dirk, a 50-year-old game. <laughs>
0: you <laughs> but you would agree that Dallas, from 1978, has changed the pace of role-playing games. I mean, that's what I right. <laughs> I was going to be like, if I was chairing this, I was, gonna, I was preparing myself for, like, Holding Scott back, like you can't keep going on about Dallas every five minutes. <laughs> nobody's played it, nobody's interested. But I'm going to play. Can I play the Lynn Hardy card here? Do it. Right, well,
3: you're saying that. Unless you're bringing her in to fighters <laughs> <or> something.
0: <laughs> okay, well, this, this topic came from a discussion that I had with a friend after going to Concrete Cow, the Games Convention in Mount Keynes, you should all come to. Now, I, on the Sunday afterwards, I went to my regular dnd group and uh, met with uh, my friend craig and i said oh yeah yesterday i was at concrete cow and i joined in a game of uh, the storm hack it's like Stormbringer, but somebody had done a hack of it and he's like well why is every game called a something hack you know there's um the black hack and, and various games with uh, amended with the word hack on the end and he's like well why aren't they just called the game why does it have to have a hack on the end and I made the kind of observation that aren't all role-playing games just a hack of the original D&D from 1974? And that's kind of still the side I'm on. Oh, I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> 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 and I, this is the Lynn Harley card, because uh, myself and uh, Mike were on a panel last year at Necronomicon. And there were two of us arguing. That I was I was with Lynn arguing that like classic Call of Cthulhu is better than pulp Cthulhu. And then five minutes in, Lynn's like, "Actually, I prefer pulp." <laughs> <laughs> Traitor. <laughs> but it, it's for the audience to decide.
1: Indeed. So I mean, just going off Paul's point there about the fact yeah you've got this kind of. Well, there's a current trend, isn't there, of basically, as I would term it, in very general terms, everyone's playing Basic D&D. They're calling it Hack This or Hack That or OSR or whatever it was you want to call it. But let's just face facts: it's Basic D&D
0: of the Plain Princess,
1: which is Basic D&D. <laughs> <laughs> why, 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 why isn't anyone playing hacks of other early games in this way? Is it just because D&D is flexible and what people want to play or is it you know no one's got the imagination and everyone's just like oh it's easy i'll just change that and i'll do my own hack and get a fiver a book for it i don't know what, what do you reckon
3: yeah so an interesting place now where technologies enable people to be self-publishers so if you want to sit away on your laptop if I could write a game now, let's do that for the next half an hour. Let's just write a game. But it's the sort of thing you can do in your own bedroom and then publish out there on drive-thru, or you can get a publisher will put physical books on the table, you can get print on demand. So what's happening now is that people who used to just be at home and do their own version of D&D or whatever game it is they're playing, are now putting it out there on the internet so other people can buy it as well. So we spoke here last year to David Black, for example, chatting to the bar saying, you know, how did this all come out? What's it about? It's like, I'm just playing D&D. And, you know, I've got my house rules. And that's a, what a lot of these games are now. It's just people's house rules of the game they've always played. Or d as well seems to be a bit of a lingua franca. So if you're trying to get some games together in a place you don't know, if you put a sign up saying, I'm running d and you'll get players, guaranteed. If you put up, I'm running Dallas RPG, I'm not sure what you get. Like My mum might be interested, but you're pretty weak on. So I think it's just the, the OSR, the hacks, all that kind of stuff. You get a lot more of that that's D&D related, because it's the lingua franca, the, the vastly superior game in terms of numbers played has got to be D&D. Can I,
1: have we reached peak hack yet,
3: because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of
1: it about, and surely, uh, you know, what, the one thing I've noticed in my old age of gaming is uh, gaming is cyclic and things go around and people get fed up of playing the same game for a while and then want to go to something else for a while. You know, whether it's, you know, they've played Warhammer for two years and now they want to go and do something else, or they played D&D for two years and now they want to do something else, and
2: vice versa. I think that's a really good observation. I think we are approaching peak hack. Um, Given that I've got my own hack in development, I hope it will last another couple of weeks. (laughs) So, you know, look out for your Christmas stockings. My hack might be in it. I think we're now at the stage that perhaps role-playing was in, in the early 80s where D&D have been around for five or six years, which is how long 5th edition has now been around. And you have this massive influx into the hobby, which I think 5th edition has brought into the hobby. And now a lot of those guys might be looking to take a different path. They might be looking at those D10s and wondering what happens if you roll two of them together and what happens if you have to roll low all of a sudden and their minds kind of warp and twist and they end up being one of your customers. <laughs> I think we might be getting to the stage now where that, that new wave of role playing is about to happen. And I think the indie game movement and the well, the story game movement is doing its own thing and powering its own furrow and going through its own stuff. But I think trad gaming might be about to morph into a new wave, like we got in the, in the 80s, where we had superhero gaming happen, and then eventually it turned into White Wolf, and the 90s were its own thing, and D&D was very much on the down at that point. I think the next 10 years of gaming could be very experimental and very interesting, and I think that you may scrub DNA clean of the in that decade. It'll be interesting. It r- remains to be seen what are the 17-year-olds doing as they put away their monster manuals? What are they gonna pick up next? I suspect they're gonna write their own thing. And it'll be really interesting to see what it is.
3: Yeah, just to quickly add, there's um, a big preponderance now of Critical Role, LA by Night's another show that's like bigger than ABC's Vampire. So I think we're at that point now where um, most people, certainly from my experience, speaking to shopkeepers, speaking to people in education, is that people watch Critical Role or some other show like that, and then go, I want to do that. And then rather than like, I learned off a of mate, someone else learned off the brother, someone at school might have had it, is think how most of us got into gaming. Now it seems to be people see it on Twitch, on YouTube, whatever, and that's how they get into gaming. And predominantly what they see is going to be something like a D&D type game, but as we're discussing, Earlier by Night, for example, is based on a vampire chronicle, and uh, the vampire people behind that have started to put stuff out there on, on the internet as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a complete cycle of where we were when only D&D and Traveller and Cthulhu existed and things started moving on. I think that's started to happen for new people now. There's no point trying to force people out of d and as some people try to do and make them play better games in inverted commas. But I think we've naturally got to that point in the cycle where people have played it for 10 years or 5 years or whatever and now want to try something different.
1: Yeah. I'm certainly, I am certainly see it on forums, on general RPG forums and Cthulhu forums where I, get, I see people coming on who uh, haven't played you know, Call of Cthulhu before uh, and they're posting saying, you know, we've been playing X game for, for a few months, or a few years now, um, I've heard about this, um, it sounds like it would be a great change for our group for a while, uh, uh, you know, wh- what do I need to get or how do I get into it, that kind of thing. I see that appearing quite a lot these days. Um, what,
4: about, what about you guys? Yeah, in fact, um, fact, that was actually one of the um, recent topics of one of our podcast episodes is um, Call of Cthulhu for Beginners. Um, Good luck. Hey. hey. (laughs) Um, But one point actually I'd like to go back to that's been mentioned there a couple of times is the target audience. Um, There was the comment made about 17-year-olds putting up their DMs, guys. I would argue that, going back to the all-other part, the all-encompassing part of this um, argument, there are games out there which are very adult orientated. Um, you have Cult in all its very different forms. That is not a game I'd run for anyone who's a teenager or under. Arguably um, Unknown Armies, with a lot of the themes in there. Or pretty much anything run by Scott Dawood. <laughs> so there are definitely games out there which are for a very different
0: audience. <clears throat> I think addressing the hacks that, that uh, we were talking about earlier. It's interesting with role-playing games, that you know, you're all very creative people, and as soon as you get a scenario or a game, I bet most of the people in here make some tweaks to it. They start changing it, they start, you know, adding bits in and changing things. Cause the game is very much about improvisation and creativity. I mean there's tactics and things in, in some role-playing games as well, but a lot of it is down to creativity. And people read rules and either they don't quite understand them and they even, reinterpret them or they do understand them and they don't really like it so they tweak it a bit so even back in I think it was 1975 then we got Tunnels and Trolls like a year after D&D came out and that's clearly a hack of D&D it's a fun game but it is clearly D&D so this has just been carrying on for a very long time and yeah, I think, I think Baz is right. I think we are seeing a big influx of new people to the hobby now. 10 years ago, we were on panels where people were sort of saying, oh, role-playing games dying out. You know, it's gonna, you know, this is the last sort of rose of it. Um, and, you know, computer games are gonna supplant actual tabletop role-playing games. That doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, when I heard about actual plays, well, even on audio actual plays, I kind of thought, are people going to want to listen to that? Yeah, I can kind of see people might want to listen to that. But on video, my opinion was nobody's going to want to watch that. Well, clearly I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I don't. Because <laughs> it's really, really popular. Uh, it's massively popular. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as I've said, we get people coming on to Milton Keynes Playing Game Club and they've just seen it on the, on the internet, on YouTube or Twitch, and they want to play it. So it's bringing in a massive amount of people into the, our hobby, um, and you know conventions like this, and Games Expo, and so on, uh, just seem to be increasing year on year. We've we'll used the
4: example of Stranger Things there as a bit more publicizing, but that was the idea.
1: <laughs> so, I think, if I'm reading the panel correctly, uh, We all kind of agree that there's a bit of (laughs) D&D in everything. Stay now if you disagree, panel. There is a little bit of D&D in whatever whatever shape or form that may be. Um, You know, there is a little bit here and there. But um, I'm I'm interested in, you know, certainly in in things like, you know, how people come into role-playing these days. I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, gone are the days of, um, here's a massive book. This is how you will learn to role-play. I think people learn off you know, the internet like they learn off most things off the internet these days in terms of if you're the younger generation. Um, but what does the audience think? So we're going to open out to a few you know, comments, uh, points of view, a question maybe, but there is a rule. If you want to ask a question, you have to come up here and you have to speak into this microphone because these are both podcasts. And they can't hear you over the internet if you don't speak into the microphone. So if you ask a question, please come up, ask a question. Any questions? Yes, over there. Please come on up.
3: I feel like we should have some music now. <laughs> da, 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 da. Hi. Thank you. Hello. Hi, I'm Catherine.
6: Um, This is going to be a really badly worded uh, question, because I'm not quite sure what I mean when I'm thinking about it. Wait till you hear the badly worded answers. (laughs) One of the things that you're talking about is very much like the systems and the dice rolling, having a game master in charge. Is that fundamentally something that D&D created, or is that something that we as humans have in an oral history with Greek myth and the way that Homer tells stories? Is that just not storytelling? So really, (coughs) would it having a dungeon master telling a story and then people joining in is that D&D exclusively also dice rolling well yeah okay is that D&D exclusively or is just the core system which is like very old school advanced dungeons dragons and stuff and that being taken is that fundamentally DD? or if you just take a dice and it's a d6 because you have it and you roll it like a thulu hack i wouldn't necessarily agree that that's DD i would just say i'm taking the tool and using it for a different system don't know how you would agree with that stuff like monster hearts you know mm-hmm. that's very much more about scenes and character relationships it's got an mc it's not necessarily about that overarching you know i'm going to go into a, room, kind of, a, a demon and that kind of stuff i mean there are elements there but i wouldn't call that D&D. so i'm more on that side but i don't know how you it guys know that again that <laughs> question was long-winded i'm so sorry that's there fine
3: fine
1: that's a great question and a great point of view. And you know, similar, similarly, um, you know, Pendragon deals with generations. It doesn't deal with a <coughs> single, you know, there's, a, there's the arc of rah, rah, that you need to go and find from the dragon of rah, And that's the story. It's, it's bigger than that. It's a much bigger story, uh, which goes beyond you know, perhaps the narrative thread of D&D. But um, any, do you want to come back on
2: anything uh, from that? Uh, yeah, thanks, Captain. I think you make a really good point and it wasn't badly worded at all. Um, I think old white dudes like me get really hung up on systems, um, and I think systems are like the bane of role-playing sometimes. We always seem to be looking for a better game, and we look for a better system to enable that. When, going back to talking about 17-year-olds or 15-year-olds, whoever's getting into the hobby now, um, I mean, I'm lucky enough to be a school teacher by trade, so I spend a lot of time talking with kids, and. And they just don't have the same hang-ups that we've always had when it comes to systems. When they're doing gaming, they're just doing gaming. And they refer to it all as gaming. In the same way as they refer to eating as eating, not spaghetti bolognese or fish fingers or whatever. They just don't differentiate. Because what they're interested in is hanging out with their mates, making some shit up, occasionally rolling some dice, because it's quite fun to see if you can get the biggest number that's on there, and then just seeing what happens. And I know loads of people who say that they're playing D&D, but with a little bit of examination, because they're not playing D&D as maybe D&D players would know. They don't have paladins and armor classes and stuff. They might be teenagers in a future Tokyo, but they still call it D&D. They're not worried anymore about the labels that I've spent 40 years building up. And I feel like an idiot sometimes for constantly talking about systems all the time. The five people on this panel we've probably played a hundred games between us of different systems whatever but i think we're all here as role players and i think it's taken that younger generation to really show me that the system doesn't matter so much it is much more about hanging out with your mates when you play monopoly you're not really being a capitalist there's the, the, there is a theme to the game and you're not really there to roll the two dice either i mean arguably you should be doing something much more fun with your time but it's much is much more about the culture I've always maintained that the most important thing in a role-playing game is the level of snacks. That's more important than your character sheet being formatted (laughs) in landscape or portrait, as to whether there's a GM intervention dice. Look at the chairs, they're the things that are going to improve your game or not, much more than any system. And I think, thank goodness, the teenagers who are getting into the hobby don't give a monkeys about my armour class.
3: So I feel we should have some friction and I'm going to say the system matters. It's to, to break up this side of the panel as well. <laughs> 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 yeah, We're now, want so some um, So it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my points, for example, Monster Hearts you mentioned. I think one of the interesting things that shows a strand of D&D in there is the fact that you have an MC. They've not called it DM, but they have that role. Uh, and there's lots of the rules in there about who gets to speak when and strings and what relationships are involved. I think that game could be gemless quite happily i think you can have the rules in the game to now enable, enable a bunch of people to sit around a table and play play that game without having to have or you know a lot of the apocalypse world games are basically engines for, for telling a story but i don't think there needs to be a dm role i think you could make it gemless quite easily Can I? sorry can i
6: counter that sure <laughs> so i agree about the dungeon master and the mc um that one point but don't all most games have a referee so is that exclusively dnd or is, you need a referee to be in charge to maintain the game. You have a referee in football, both sides, so you have a referee for against yeah, so You need that. But is that exclusively a D&D Dungeon Master? No, not, like ne- ne- not
3: necessarily. But I think that the Dungeon Master role in d d is someone who's also another player around the table. They've just got an asymmetric system. So they're running monsters or other M- other NPCs or whatever it might be. But they've got a role to play, and they roll some dice to see whether their characters get to do what they want them to do in terms of a- an adversary. So a referee in, I don't know, a netball game or whatever has not got that role. They're just arbitrating from the outside because most of role-playing games, I would say, have a referee of sorts as another player but with a different set of rules to run. Um, and I, I think you can, certainly with some of the more modern games, eliminate that role if you want to and just have the rules written down for how you all play that game. And That's why you have gemless games now and that sort of thing. So I think it's just interesting that the Apocalypse World thing has an MC, which I think is a hangover from D&D and if D&D didn't exist, I think it'd be gemless. As a game. Would a
6: gm this
3: game then not be a, a game that's based on D&D?
6: They're not roleplaying <laughs> games.
3: <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> I'm trying not to do the strad thing because I thought <laughs> it's a blurry line, let's put it that way. Should we do that? <laughs> Anything,
1: Charles?
0: So, as I understand it, back in the early 70s, Guy Gax and Armisen were playing war games and they were playing uh, First World War setting. Uh, in the trenches and in war games you wouldn't have a games master you'd have you know mark me at uh, playing you and we've got figures on the table and landscape and so on and rules but they start having people digging the sappers digging tunnels from the trenches under the enemy trench now obviously the other players shouldn't know where those trenches are so it shouldn't know where those tunnels are whether you know uh, bombs or whatever are gonna be put under the, the trenches So they introduced a games master who was a neutral referee within that. And that was incorporated into the early versions of D&D. So you had a games master and you were playing individual characters. So I think that concept of having a a, a kind of neutral, if you like, a a chairperson to the game, whether you call it an MC or a DM or a games moderator, or whatever version of that you want, does come from the original D&D is my understanding. Uh, and to to baz's point about you know how we used to play i think back in the, the early 80s as i recall it that we, there weren't so many games there were a lot of games even then it seemed there was such a explosion of games in the in the late 70s and early 80s but we would just play dnd because that was all we knew but we'd play all sorts of different versions of it and we'd do all sorts of things in those games that nowadays I think we'd be playing a different game. We'd have a different name and we'd be doing that thing. But I perceive that now, and this is a gross generalization, but we seem more interested in systems and we play, we're more confined by that system so if we're playing that game with that system, we do that thing. If we're going to do something else, we go and get a different game with a different system. Um, whereas I think, you know, you just used to loosely improvise around the one thing you'd got and that was kind of all-encompassing. And that was D&D for me. Question? Yeah,
1: i come to you just a sec. Um, just to sort of tag into the whole Wargaming thing. Um, the, I think, you know, that's nice history that you've said, Paul. The real history with wargaming, as us uh, on the panel who have worked in the wargaming industry will know, you put two wargamers together uh, with the same rule set, they will still argue. And uh, inevitably, they will have to go, ref, somebody tell us what to do because we can't agree on the rule. Well, the rules in black and white, it clearly, clearly should be clear, but still they can't do it. So I think that's where refs came from. But anyway, uh, so Andrew, you've got a question, yeah?
2: Doesn't this really all go back to the very, very early days? There were Traveller players and there were D&D players and ever twain would play each other's games. And actually, are we all just skirting around here and actually there's a certain amount of snobbery as well in these games where, you know, there are those that will play D&D and there are those that will play anything else but. What do you guys think about that?
1: Snobbery and role-playing. Does it exist?
2: Yep. <laughs> I am uh, born again in India. I spent the late 80s and all of the 90s pretending I didn't love it and then I had to come back to it because I realised it was loads of fun and all of the games of cult I'd been playing had been destroying my very soul and sucking the life out of my hobby. So I got my D20 back on hardcore in the year 2000 and turned into a bit of an evangelical about it as well. So I've gone from proper snobbery, uh, playing The Whispering Vault and other amazing games like that, where I could be a real snob about d to becoming the born-again D&D that I am today, which means I'm now an inverted snob, which is the better kind. <laughs> so now, when people dismiss d to me, I probably see slightly more red than I used to when I was that person. It's like the guy who's given up smoking. You can't shut them up.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think it's very true. I think mainly these days, people seem to be calming down a little bit about it all. Or- there's Still tribalism wherever you go. I just get groups of human beings together. Uh, it like the last week or two in the OSR community, if there is such a thing there 's been nothing but knife fights and screaming and rending of hair and stuff uh, and uh, why people are arguing about pretend elf games so substantially i don 't understand, but you know we're, I think games, if anything, are more close together now and bringing us maybe not back to d and d in terms of real set or an ethos maybe, but I think people just want to play games more, and I think that you know the advent of twitch and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Helping more people get into games, but ultimately we're, we're a tribal being, and humans are going to go. What I'm playing is better than what you're playing. And we all need to understand that what one person's makes another person's poison, and that some games are better for some people than others. It's not they're not better; it's better for individuals.
1: Absolutely, it's all about enjoyment, isn't it?
4: Um, I would argue maybe that it's not a specific system or specific game that people feel snobbery over but the genre, uh, because you can find people that might like investigative horror, they play cult, they play Chill, they play Cthulhu, there's a whole range of games that fit in that bracket, uh, but then they, like me, they despise fantasy, uh, because the minute a combat starts, my head will hit the table and I'll say, wait, when it's finished. Whereas you give me a good puzzle to solve in a game, I'm all over it. It's... I think more designed what the story is and what the type of thing you're doing and what the focus of that yeah, and what that game's about that people might be snobbish, in inverted commas, about.
0: Yeah, I think 10 or 15 years ago, with the growth of the indie games movement, there was a big kind of division between trad and indie, and that seems to be lessening now. Particularly, it seemed to be a kickback against old school d or just D&D. Um, back in the early 2000s, that seemed to be something that was, you know, we didn't want to be associated with somehow. But now it seems like that's almost become part of indie games. There's so many <coughs> OSR hacks and versions of that that are now somehow indie. So the whole tours, it seems to me, are just kind of meshed together. And people aren't so concerned with that division anymore, is my perception.
1: Okay, we've got um, the last few minutes, so probably time for one more thing. So um, I'm looking and you've got your hand raised, so please come over.
5: Hiya. Hiya. Hello. Um, so, we're all quite nervous now, so. Um, <laughs> right. I wasn't expecting to stand up here. So, um, okay, I'll, there is a question in here somewhere, but you might have to dig for it. So a while back, I got back into the hobby uh i started with basic fantasy role playing because i could pick it up for like four quid off amazon um wrote my family in got an adventure went on my wife would not kill any orcs it was it was like well they might be good I said, no they're orcs have you not read the hobbit no, no no so that was a complete bust went to call of cthulhu quick start rules and my wife is hard of hearing. So one of the things I could do for her is I could give her lip reading. And it made it much more personal. Rather than her playing, I forget what she played, a magic user, she was actually playing a real person. And I think D&D takes you away from that. Whereas other games, Call of Cthulhu, takes you back to real experiences which are more inclusive, so I could run a game which was inclusive of somebody who would otherwise go, mm, which is my wife, who will probably not listen to this, but anyway, anyway, thank you. Thanks for
1: your point. Um, Paul?
0: Well, you can, thank Matt, you can thank Mike for the fact that lip reading is in there. <laughs> so I was like, Why do you want lip reading as a skill? So it became an optional rule because we couldn't decide on that one um but um but yeah I think that's one of the positives of God is that you kind of latch into playing a real life character and that's kind of an easy thing to latch into and I don't know it does seem like when we talk about role-playing games I've been playing um uh what is it Tomb of Annihilation or whatever it's called the, the D&D campaign for the last year or so and it's been great fun I've really enjoyed it but I don't feel I'm role-playing as much as in playing a character as strongly as I do when I play some other games. I don't know if that's the same for everybody, I'm guessing
4: it probably isn't. <clears throat> Indeed, there's been an emphasis on the kind of divide between do you look at combat more in a game or do you look at role-playing more in a game, right the way back to the start when you can think, think of Bunnies and Burrows, um, because even then being that a game came out fairly recently after d d its emphasis was specifically role-playing, knowing your place in the food chain, and solving and solving problems without violence. Because frankly, you're going to get swamped on by any, uh, by any human boot that comes along.
3: I'm loving the, the references you keep making Dallas RPG, buddies and burrows. you've got an The it? big guns <laughs> The <now>. big hitters. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the good things about the hobby generally, and certainly d and uh, helped with this, uh, more recently has been more inclusive. So if you look at the artwork that's included in DE, for example, there's a lot more people of colour or women or, you know, the, there's definitely a trend throughout the hobby generally, which is a good thing to see of getting more people included and in doing all we can. So while well, I take your point that specific skills might give you a hook or give one of your players a hook, I think D&D generally and the hobby as a whole, thank goodness, is just getting more inclusive and, and looking for ways to get more people involved in gaming rather than creating barriers.
2: I agree
1: so do I so we're uh, we're just coming up on time so I'm gonna hand the microphone again around the table for you know what what whatever parting comment statement truth or lie you wish to uh, you know to convey uh, to to everyone in the room Uh, I'll pass it down and also this is your final opportunity to uh, uh, you know sell whatever it is you want to sell so
3: (laughs) start with uh, Gaz Hello, everybody. You should all follow the what With The Smart 4 podcast and become loyal patrons. We're working on the second Smart Z right now. I think... Um, I don't know, are we going to have a vote on it at the end about whether... You, would you like a vote on it at the end? Let's have a vote about whether they have having a yes. vote. Yeah, we're going to have a vote, I think. Definitely. We might need two. So, yeah, we might have a run vote or a depends referendum. Depends on the first result. A people's vote. Right. <laughs> we'll go back to the one we had in 1972 and see if we're lucky. Um, as long as Robin doesn't get a vote because he's only just turned up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one. So I think uh, mainly you should vote for, for our motion that all, all games have some DNA of D&D in them because we've proven the facts, for starters. Uh, we're generally just nicer people. And Matt really hates d d so if you vote this motion through, we you'll have to admit he's been playing it for the last 30 years. <laughs> trust me that's not the case <laughs>
2: um, I, I think D&D got a lot of things right um, and it got them right straight out of the gate and we should all be perhaps a little bit more respectful of that there's nothing particularly wrong with a strength stat there's nothing particularly wrong with hit points there's nothing particularly wrong with rolling dice and killing orcs in rooms for pie I still like it and I'm not the only one so you know, don't get too elitist about your game where you are all about relationships and magnetic fish. Enjoy yourself, but don't forget, everybody loves a critical hit. <laughs> nope.
4: Nope. I'll draw you back to the wording of the original question, or statement. <laughs> all other RPGs, I just customized versions of D&D, to customize is to alter partially. If you alter something in a little bit, that's fine. If you alter something wholesale, completely, like using the car analogy, ripping off the wheels, getting rid of the GM, changing the dice system, using a whole pool of dice if you want to roll a bucket like Exalted, or any other wholesale change like that, setting, theme, genre, then that cannot apply to all.
3: (laughs) Good luck, Paul. All right, (laughs) so... uh...
0: Yeah, you should follow the good friends of Jackson White. <laughs> you should also follow the Smart Party because I've been listening to them recently, and uh, yes, they do a very good job. It's <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, It's a Thank big you. love up here. Uh, Traitor. <laughs> and Gus talked about diversity in gaming being, uh, you know, a great thing, and it is really increasing year on year. And also, is the diversity of games. So there's a whole host of games out there. Nobody really cares which one you play. Go and
1: play them, they um, don't really matter which one you do. doing. Hi, we are uh, got the Kersim Sand here at Dragon Me today. <laughs> and um, if you'd like to see how the uh, Strand of d and uh, goes through other role-playing games, then please come to Sand and buy some games to look at it. Likewise, um, if you'd like to play a game that's got no Strand of d and in it, then come and buy our games as well. <laughs> um, yeah. So either way, please come along. Uh, but... Uh, we will end. Uh, we'll end this with a vote, then. Okay. So I'm going to ask the the, the question that was posed, uh, and we'll have a two show of hands. Okay. So uh, the question is: All other RPGs are just customized versions of d d Those who agree, please raise your hand now. Yeah. Oh. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven people have agreed. It's Technically, happy, with the smart party, it's how you
3: spot the intelligent people in a room. Uh, those
1: who disagree with the uh, statement, please raise your hand.
3: Huzzah. There's
1: a lot more. Uh, <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, There's ten, 10 eleven, twelve, More, uh, more. Those, those who don't know or, or abstain, please raise your hands. Three, four, five people. Uh, uh, I'm afraid uh, all RPGs are not customized versions of D&D according to the audience panel. What do they uh, know? What, what do they know? Notice is... the audience
2: are not currently <laughs> playing games unlike the D&D players. Unlike the D&D players, <laughs> <laughs> So. I can, with... still, I can still take that as a win, right? <laughs> yeah. So all, I the side. Paul,
1: Paul plays on both sides. Yeah, exactly that. So uh, yes, yeah, so okay. thank you for attending. Uh, thank you for my uh, panelists, Baz and Gaz from the Smart Party, and Paul and Matt from the Good Friends of Jackson Uh I've been Mike Mason, your host. You're welcome. Good night.